Well, good morning. My name is Kyle. It's so good to see each and every one of you. I just want to say before we really get going in my part that it was not a pastor that designed daylight savings time, and he definitely didn't put it on a Sunday. You know what I'm saying? So glad to see each of you. Thanks for getting up early and uh, being here to worship together today and to sing about the glorious name of Jesus. As many of you know, we had a team of five that uh, left out this week to go to India, and uh, they are there, and they are doing well. Uh, Everything in the trip is going great so far. I just want to share a few things with you, and uh, I think we may have a picture or two that's going to go on the screen as I'm talking here. Um, But uh, they actually had church a few hours ago because they're ahead of us by quite some time. And uh, ultimately, uh, Nick messaged to say, uh, praying for a great day today at HC. Uh, here's what he said. We just, got back, we just got back from a three and a half hour worship service. Six sermons, Lord's Supper, baby dedication, and singing. He told me not to feel bad if I go overtime preaching. Uh, they miss you guys, and they're thankful for all the text and all the encouraging messages that you've sent their way. Uh, Also, uh, they've been able to preach while they've been there, and Nick got to preach one night this week, and uh, he was pretty humble. This is pretty cool. Uh, The man that's translating for him, uh, and you've met him, Edgar, actually many years ago when Billy Graham was on uh, the continent of India, uh, they're sharing the gospel. Um, He actually, or in the country of India, sharing the gospel, uh, he actually translated for Billy Graham many years ago. Nick thought, no pressure. But I don't know if you remember last week, we quickly talked about Billy Graham, what a great man of God he was, and uh, we just um, wanted to honor him uh, here, and then um, prayed for those guys last week, and then there's Nick preaching and being translated for through a guy that translated for Billy Graham. Just super cool. God's blessing them, and continue to pray that God would give them boldness and blessings as they are there sharing. Well, as we get our time started this morning, I've asked a few folks to, sh- uh, to join me on stage for just a moment, six people, and you know who you are, so come on up here if I ask you. Uh, hopefully, they're not going to get shy now. They're going to come on up here. Awesome, awesome deal. You can stay on this side, my friend Cole, and Nicole, you can stay over here. Nicole, if you'll come over here with these guys, and Rick, if you'll go over there. There we go. All right. Oh, come over here. Come over. Yep. There we go. Sorry. You stay there. You stay there. Got two Nicoles. This is Rick. This is Cole. This is Nicole. This is Nicole. This is Michael. And this is James. Y'all say hi. I told them they didn't have to speak, so I'm not going to make them say anything this morning. Uh, we've got a little object lesson for them. Inside these bags, this is yours, and that's yours. Uh, there are uh, some things that you can use in there to build a tower, okay? Your objective is to build the tallest tower possible. Okay, the tallest tower possible with what's in the bag, okay? The only rule is it must be freestanding, okay? Freestanding. And you have one minute to win it, okay? One minute. Let me pull my thing up here. And so uh, let me get this going, and then you guys will be ready. All right, on your marks, get set, go. So they got pipe and fittings, and it might be noted this guy's a professional plumber. Fifteen seconds. Five, 
four, three, help me out, two, one. Time, step away. Let's see if it stands. Let it go, you gotta let it go. Yeah, we know what just happened there, all right. Really quickly, this guy's obviously built the tallest tower. Quick question, what would you have needed to build a taller tower? Give me an answer. More, more parts, more time. Let me ask you this. Did I ever say that you could not work together? Ah, give these guys a hand. All right, thank you all so much. You can leave it up there. It's fine. It's fine. It's great. It'll probably fall in the middle. Okay, all right. So let's be honest, if you were up here building that tower, you would have gotten competitive just like they were, and you tried to beat the other team, right? We always think it's about us and them. This morning as we look at Acts chapter 4, verse 32, I really want us to think about how the Holy Spirit wants to empower us to unite, how to come together as one. And I want to thank, again, those guys for uh, just being willing to come up here and uh, Uh, do this cool lesson for us this morning. Acts chapter 4, beginning in verse number 32. It says, All the believers were united in heart and mind. Now, before we go past the middle part of verse number 13, we keep reading. I want us to pause right here on the first part of verse 32. All the believers were united in heart and mind. What we see mostly in the book of Acts is we see the church scattered out in their community doing what God called them to do on mission. Every now and then, Luke, our writer, pushes pause and shows us the church gathered. He shows them gathered up and experiencing worship together and the presence of God together. And this is one of those moments where he pushes pause from all the scattering and all the going and all the doing of the mission to them coming together as literally one. And so as we think about them out there on mission, we read a story last week about Peter and John and how they healed a guy. A guy was lame and now he could get up and he could walk and what a miracle that was. We've already seen other miracles like people speaking in languages that they don't know through the power of the Holy Spirit. And we're going to see another miracle after another miracle as we read throughout the book of Acts. But what I want you to notice is that Acts chapter 4 verse 32, all the believers were united in heart and mind may be the greatest miracle in the book of Acts. We're talking about over 10,000 people at this point, and the Word of God declares that all the believers were united. They were one in heart and in mind. So how did they do it? How did all the believers find themselves united? Well, I'm going to tell you. It's actually simple. It's simple. It was their faith that caused them to be united. Faith not just in something, not just an agreement about something, but, it, but it, it, was a, it was a faith in a person. Our strongest source of unity as a church, as a group of believers, is our gospel identity, not necessarily our common affinities, those things that we agree upon that are kind of peripheral. 
It's our gospel identity. And so what we see here is united church, and I want to show this to you on the screen. We see a united church, and the reason why we see here a united church is because of the uniter whose name is Jesus. He is the one that has brought them together. He is the one that has made them one. That is where their focus is. It's on Jesus. A lot of times we think that unity is possible when we come together around things that we agree on, okay? Not necessarily anything wrong with these things. They're not wrong necessarily, but they're incomplete. Um, Maybe uh, coming together and agreeing on every little bitty minuscule doctrinal matter or agreeing on childhood education philosophy or agreeing on a political party. How, uh, you know, one do you think we'd be when we got done with that today, huh? It's a mess today, right? And yet we think those are the things that we can come around and become one about. And yet our unity, just like theirs, is found in the gospel. And the gospel is not an idea. The gospel is not merely a doctrine or a teaching. The gospel is a person, specifically the second person of the Godhead, Jesus himself. He is the gospel. Everything he did in living a perfect, sinless life and laying it down from the sins for the sins of all of mankind and then taking it back up again through the resurrection is the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. This is what unites this church that we're reading about, and this is what unites this church that we're a part of. He is our identity. He is our hope. He is our salvation. He is our uniter. He is ours. Jesus is the only thing, the only thing that that can unite us and will stand the test of time. He is the only one that is perfect now and will be perfect later. He is the only one that will be faithful today and faithful tomorrow and sure tomorrow and unchanging. Most of the time in our lives, it's about us and them. But within the church, it's about us and him. Do you see the massive difference there? All those that are out there that we can think, well, it's us and it's them. No, it's us together, and we're one in the name of Jesus Christ. Think about how diverse this group of people was in the book of Acts. Incredibly diverse. People were coming from all types of places. They lived in different cities. They lived in different countries. They had come together. They spoke different languages. They probably had different skin colors. There were so many things about them that were different. And yet they they were there and they were one. They were united. Um, Think about the narrative if you've been with us in the book of Acts and what's been taking place. Um, Just a, um, a day before or so, Uh, Peter and John, again, had preached the gospel after healing a man, and they proclaimed the name of Jesus. After proclaiming the name of Jesus, they were arrested, and they were put in jail. After they got them out of jail and said, don't speak of the name of Jesus anymore, they gathered up with the other believers, and they began to pray. They began to pray this incredible prayer that you and I wouldn't naturally pray for, but you and I as believers might supernaturally pray for, and they prayed for boldness in preaching the gospel. As they prayed for boldness in preaching the gospel, the word of God, verse 31, says the Holy Spirit filled them, controlled them, and empowered them. And they went forth and they continued to boldly preach the gospel of Jesus. And of the many things that I'm going to say today, I want you to hear this. The Holy Spirit empowers the church to unite us in Christ. The Holy Spirit empowers the church to unite us in 
Christ. That's what the Holy Spirit does among us. He keeps my attention and your attention, my eyes and your eyes, my heart, your heart, my mind and your mind on Jesus, knowing that he is the uniter. This is the prayer that Jesus prayed in John chapter 17. Uh, Man, Jesus is not long away from going to the cross, and he gets with the Father, and he prays. And I don't know what you've been praying about lately. Uh, I pray for my children a lot. I've been praying for some friends that are sick right now. Uh, I've been praying for some friends that are um, just lost in their life right now. I've been praying for some friends right now that are addicted to things that are destroying their lives. I've been praying for some friends that their marriage is falling apart. I don't know what you've been praying for lately, and all those things that I'm praying for, I need to keep praying for. And all those things that you're praying for, you need to keep praying for. But Jesus, when he got alone with the Father in John chapter 17, knowing that it was going to be recorded in Scripture for all of these years for us to read about, guess what Jesus chose to pray about? He chose to pray for his followers then, that they would be one, that they would be united as he and the Father were united. Then he went further, and he didn't stop there. He didn't just pray for those guys. He looked forward to today, and he looked at this church, and he prayed for the believers today to be united and to be one as he and the Father were one. It was his passion. It was his desire. He knew it was so important for us to keep our attention on him and to be one in him for us to be successful and for us to experience everything that he really has for us and for him to get the glory that he so richly, richly deserves. So church, I think one thing that we need to be praying for, biblically, is we need to be praying that we would be filled with the Holy Spirit, controlled and empowered to be focused on Jesus to such a level that we, his church, are united in heart and in mind. Again, not about around a common affinity for this and for that, but around Jesus He is who we all have in common. He is who we claim as our Savior and our Rescuer and our hope. He is who we need, and he is who the world needs. And the world needs to see us as one as we share the glorious message of Jesus Christ. Look on in verse number 32, and notice that their unity led to generosity. It says, and they felt that what they owned was not their own. So... They shared everything they had. Wow. Goes on, verse 33. The apostles testified powerfully. Where do you think this power to do something powerfully came from? It came from the Holy Spirit. Anytime I do anything or you do anything with power, it doesn't come from our charisma. It doesn't come from our experience. It doesn't come from our talents. It doesn't come from our gifts. All those things are great and all those things are wonderful. But we have power through the Holy Spirit. And it says they testified powerfully to what? To the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. Do you see where their focus was? Do you see what they kept talking about over and over and over again? I guarantee you, I guarantee you, if some believers today went to church at Jerusalem back then, it wouldn't be long they'd be complaining, hey, preacher, you've been preaching the same sermon every single Sunday. Because you know what they kept preaching? Jesus is alive. Jesus is alive. Jesus is alive. Jesus is alive. Hey, we're going to preach about this Sunday. Jesus is alive. 
Hey, we're going to preach about the next Sunday. Jesus is alive. Why do you keep talking about Jesus being alive? Because we saw him die. He was dead. And he died for my transgressions, and he died for your transgressions, and he didn't stay dead because after that, they said, we saw him alive. They couldn't get over the resurrection of Jesus. It was their hope. He was their rescue. He was their salvation. And they couldn't help but declare it over and over and over and over and over. Am I wearing you out? And over again. So do you hear me, church, that our message is the resurrected Savior? And we are able to preach it with power, not because of our experience or our charisma or all those many things. We are able to declare it with power because of the Holy Spirit of God. Do you know the one thing that I know for sure the Holy Spirit wants to empower me and you to do? is to proclaim the resurrection of Jesus. And this is powerfully, powerfully these apostles stood up and they preached and they declared the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. Do you know some people in your life that are hopeless right now? I mean, like hopeless. Marriage is crashing down, or job is gone, or finances have just flown away, or health is just, just leaving them, or just, just, you know people right now, right? They're hopeless seemingly. They don't know where to turn to. They don't know where to go. The same message they preached then is the same message that we have now. And it brings the same hope now that it brought then. It's the resurrected Savior. See, here's what I don't know. I don't know. I don't know if your circumstance or their circumstance here in this life will get better or not. Will I pray for it to get better? Absolutely. But here's what I know. Eternity in heaven forever awaits with God the Father if we believe in his son Jesus. And there we will experience everything as it's supposed to be in all of its perfection and in all of its glory. And regardless of what comes our way today, just like we sang earlier, or at least we listened earlier, right? Because it's such a powerfully song that, God, I'm going to praise you when you bless me and I'm going to praise you when you take away. In this life, we get blessings and we get things that just seemingly are cursings. But in the life to come in heaven, there's perfection awaiting. And that's the message that is declared then. That is the message that is declared now that regardless of how hopeless someone is, how hopeless you are, how hopeless your friends are, that Jesus didn't just die, but he again. Church, we can't get over that. We, we can't just say, oh, it's the same thing over and over again. No, it's the same thing over and over again. It's the glorious good news of Jesus. Here in a few weeks, we're going to celebrate Easter, and man, we're going to celebrate big. We're going to do it with all of our hearts and all of our souls. But you've heard me say this before. You're going to hear me say it today, and you'll hear me say it again. Listen, every day is Easter in the life of a believer. Every day. Today we get to celebrate the risen Savior. He's not in the tomb today, and we're wondering if he's going to make it or not, if we're going to make it or not. He's alive today. The apostles testified powerfully to the resurrection of Jesus. Jesus is alive, they said. Jesus is alive. There is hope 
There is life. There is salvation. There is forgiveness of sin. There is purpose. And then it goes on in verse 33 to say, And God's great blessing was upon them all. What was God's great blessing? It's a pretty good question, right? It says, And God's great blessing. What is God's great blessing? I don't know if I have, like, the answer, but let me just give you some ideas that I believe fit into what I know for sure are God's blessing. Okay? They got to experience the gospel. That's the blessing of God, right? They got to experience and know and have the impact uh, or their life impacted by the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. They got to experience the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit. They got to experience unity with one another around the glorious resurrected name of Jesus. These are the blessings that they were experiencing as they were one in Jesus. Verse 34. There were no needy people among them because those who owned land or houses would sell them and bring the money to the apostles to give to those in need. And if you weren't here a few weeks ago, uh, Keaton preached on Acts chapter 2, the latter part, that spoke into what we're seeing here happening about them selling land and, and divvying up the portions of their, their belongings and sharing them with others. And he did such a great job of, of proclaiming that. That wasn't the rule that wasn't what they had to do. There's no rule today that says you've got to go sell land and give it to somebody. That's just what the Spirit of God led them to do, and so they followed the Spirit of God's leadership. And if God today is leading you to get rid of something, to liquidate something so that you can share something, then I say by all means, follow the Holy Spirit's leadership in your life, liquidate it, and share it. And share it. That's what we see happening there. And if the Holy Spirit leads you today, by all means do it. But what we're seeing is unity produces generosity. Verse 36. For instance, there was Joseph, the one the apostles nicknamed Barnabas, which means son of encouragement. Let me pause right there. This is the introduction to a guy that we're going to see quite a few times throughout the book of Acts. His real name was Joseph. Uh, there's some other Josephs in the Bible. We know that there was a Joseph in the Old Testament, had a coat of many colors and um, all that whole incredible story there. Uh, there's a few Josephs in the New Testament. We've got Joseph, who was the earthly dad of Jesus. Um, he was not his uh, biological father, but he raised him as his own uh, because God the Father was Jesus' biological father. It's a weird thought. It's just pretty amazing. Mary was a virgin, conceived of child, but we've got Joseph there. Uh, after Jesus was crucified, we've got another Joseph, um, Joseph of Arimathea. He was a very wealthy man um, who that, uh, that uh, gave up his tomb for Jesus to be buried. And now here we see Joseph. And they don't call him Joseph anymore. They give him a nickname. I, I don't know. Like, I think like we've gotten away from nicknames a lot. I think in high school when you play football, you get name, nicknames, you know. Uh, you know, mine was like Bruiser. That was my nickname. Um, I like that, huh? Maybe not. All right, so anyway, but, but you know what I'm talking about? Like, we get, we get nicknames there. What if we started nicknaming each other in the church? Now, if you're not careful and you're mature about it, nicknames become degrading, right? But in this moment, we see a bunch of people filled with the Holy Spirit. They notice a guy filled with the Holy Spirit. His name's Joseph, and he's such an encouraging guy, they nickname him a name that means son of an encourager. His name's Barnabas. 
And we're going to see him be called Barnabas all the way through. Notice what goes on to say there in um, verse 36. Barnabas, um, which means son of encouragement, he was from the tribe of Levi and came to the island of Cyprus. I'd love to unpack all that. It's an amazing backstory on who he is. Verse 37. He sold a field he owned and brought the money to the apostles. Here's what I want to tell you. The church would not be moving forward at the advancement that it is here or anywhere else without Barnabases. People that just love to encourage, love to give, love to say to others, keep going and willing to share what they have. Well, we're not going to read chapter 5, but I want to give you a little peek into chapter 5 this morning. Because I think sometimes when we read stories like this and we look back at that church and we think, well, it sounds like a fairy tale, right? I mean, they were all one. They were united in heart and mind. And then they had this guy that they nicknamed the encourager, Barnabas. Sounds too good to be true. No, it's all true. And as you continue to read the story and to unpack the narrative in chapter 5, you're going to see that it all was not a fairy tale. You're introduced in chapter 5 to a couple of other people, Ananias and Sapphira, husband and wife. Well, they thought what Barnabas and other people like him were doing sounded really cool, and they wanted everybody else to think that they were like Barnabas and these other people that were willing to sell some land and give it all to the needy and to the poor and to help and to serve and to keep the gospel going forward. Well, as you read chapter 5, what actually happens is they sell some land and they agree among them, hey, let's not give it all to the Lord. Let's keep part of it for ourselves. Nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong with that at all. Here's where things went bad. Let's tell everybody that we're giving all of it to the Lord and still keep some for ourselves. So Ananias comes in, the husband, and he says, yep, here it is. Here it is. Here's all of it. Okay? And after lying, he dies. Pretty intense, right? It's in chapter 5, not making this up. Sapphira, his wife, comes in a few hours later. They're like, hey, how you doing? She's like, good. She's like, yep, we're giving it all. She lied. She died. Anybody else kind of like, wait a minute, what's going on here? Like, this whole God thing sounds pretty serious all of a sudden. I thought he loved us and liked us and he was for us. He is, but he hates lying. Well, is it all about money? Like, if I don't, like, give all that I have, like, what's going on? Am I going to die when the, when the bucket passes today? And I don't, you know, like, whoa, 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 wait, wait a minute, wait a minute. Can I leave before the offering? How does this work? I don't want to die today. Here's the deal. They lied, they died. It's not because they stole money for God, even though that was a big deal. Here's what they did that was deeper. They stole glory from God. They stole glory from God. Their selfishness and their greed, and their need to be seen of others as holy and standing out and generous and all those kind of that facade they tried to put on, they were stealing the glory of God. Now, I could talk about giving and generosity here and bring out some incredible truths, but church, hear me this morning. Here's the big thing I want to get because I want to connect this back to the whole big idea today, and that is that the Holy Spirit empowers the church to be united in Christ, the moment you or I get our eyes off of Jesus 
and we get our eyes on ourselves and our stuff and our doing and our thing is the moment that unity starts going out the window. Can involve money or not, it doesn't make any difference. And the moment unity starts to go out the window and my attention and your attention starts getting off of Jesus, guess what happens? We start stealing glory from God. And here's what glory given to God looks like. It's about me taking my little spotlight that's in my hands and me turning it and putting it on Jesus and Jesus alone. And when I take my little spotlight and I start putting it on me, everybody starts looking at me and I am not the hope of the world. You are not the hope of the world. I can't forgive anyone of their sins. I can't change anyone's life. I can't change anyone's eternity. And the moment that I get my eyes off of Jesus and I get my spotlight off of Jesus, I start stealing the glory of God and church ceases to exist for its purpose. And our purpose is to bring glory to God. And the way we bring glory to God is by keeping our eyes on Jesus. Well, as I was preparing this, and even this morning, um, as I was getting ready to come, and my wife, she's serving kids this morning. Uh, sometimes she's not up here with me, and y'all think she's probably skipping church. She's not. She's back over there serving. Anyway, uh, I dialogue with her a lot about just preaching and teaching because, you know, sometimes I'm like, man, that, that's, woo, that's good. That's where it's at. Sometimes you go into a sermon, and you're like, eh, you know, this one's going to be all right. Well, today is one of those days where I'm like, I feel like this is one of those sermons. It's not like... Ooh, that was really good preaching, but it's what we need. And more so, like, I feel like it's one of those sermons, like, if maybe you're a guest today, you're like, I don't know what that has to do with me, maybe. But church, let me tell you something. This sermon today, as rough as it is and as crude as it is, and I'm trying everything I've got, and I'm asking the Holy Spirit to bless what I've got. Listen, this is all about guests that are here this morning and guests that could be here the next week and could be here the next week. And could be here the next week. Because here's what I know. Here's what I know. People who are not a part of the church, the last thing they want, hear me, the last thing they want is to come into a group of people that say they're all about Jesus, who aren't all about Jesus, and who are fussing and fighting and bickering all the time. That's the last thing they want. Because here's what I know. Most of them can get it at home. They can get that at work. They can get that on CNN or Fox. Take your pick. It's all they see. They see division. And they see divisiveness. And they see hatred. And they see just yucky, yucky stuff. But when they come into the church, when they come into the gathering of God's people, in any context in which we gather, whether it's this gathering on Sunday morning, which is our big gathering, or whether it's a small group that happens on Sunday morning at 9 o'clock in our Bible studies, or it's a small group that happens on Sunday night in our homes, or it's a meeting in which we're gathering to make decisions. Anytime we gather, oh, that the Holy Spirit would empower us to keep our eyes on Jesus so much that it's not about us, that we can be united and people can see something different in us. For me to be united with you and for you to be united with me, each other, it means we just got a lot of, lot of, stu a lot of stuff just kind of like be over there. You know what I'm saying? 
There's a lot of topics I could bring up right now, and I guarantee you, half the room will be over here and half the room will be over here, and there will be a little strip down the middle, be like, I don't, I don't know. Right? But this morning, as a church, okay, as believers, here's what I'm believing that we this morning can and do agree on Jesus. Okay? We agree he's God in the flesh. We agree that he lived here among people just like you and I, and he did it perfectly. And we agree that he went to the cross and he died a cruel, cruel death with a purpose. And the purpose with which he died was for my sin and your sin. Anybody want to stand up and talk about yours this morning? No. We want to claim the blood of Jesus this morning, don't we? We want to claim forgiveness this morning, don't we? We want to claim rightness with God through Christ and through Christ alone this morning, right? So my sin's ugly, your sin's ugly, but we've been changed. We've been made different through the blood of Jesus Christ, which is good to cure us from all sin because of what? Because of the glorious, powerful resurrection of Jesus. Of Jesus. Do we, as believers, agree on that this morning? Eight of you. This is one of those moments that I'm just like, I really want a lot of response right now. Can we agree on Jesus this morning? We're almost there. Can we agree on Jesus this morning? I think we're getting there. It's kind of funny. um, What time is it? Um, give you a little insider information with risk. Um, we always do feedback on Mondays. Hey, how'd Sunday go? And I'm always like, hey, here I am. I'm an open target. Tell me how I preached yesterday. Too long, too short, too boring, too whatever. And um, anyway, <laughs> um, we were talking about sharing the gospel. And uh, one person in our group, just take this with a grain of salt, um, said, man, I think too early in the sermon you spent too much time on the gospel. I can laugh a little bit right there. It's kind of funny. I chuckled, and I said, I'll take that all day long. Now, in context, it all made more sense, but then today we're getting ready to sing, and I'm talking to Keaton, and I'm like, man, I love those songs, and he's like, yeah, and uh, he, he, he said that a couple people, and again, I'm not naming names because it's not about pointing by, he said a couple people like, like getting ready for it said, man, we're singing the name of Jesus like a whole lot coming up this Sunday, and I'm like, yes. You cannot go wrong with the name of Jesus, believers. You cannot go wrong with the name of Jesus. We could talk about a lot of stuff this morning, and I could give you my opinion, and you could take it or leave it. Maybe it's helpful, maybe it's wise, maybe it's whatever. But this morning, I give you simply yet powerfully the name of Jesus. And anytime as we as God's people, we as God's church get to come together around the name of Jesus, we should take advantage of it and we should be all in. Here's what I know. The people on this stage leading you in worship are only going to lead you to worship Jesus. Maybe you know the song. Maybe you don't know the song. Maybe you're a big fan of the song or you don't really like singing that song. Here's what I know. Lean all in because you're worshiping. We don't worship songs here. We don't worship styles here. We worship Jesus here. 
So I'm up here belting it out whether I know it good or not because we're worshiping Jesus. Church, you see what I'm asking you to do? I'm asking you to worship Jesus louder than ever. Why? Because we're worshiping Jesus and Jesus alone. Here's what I know. And if this ever ceases to be, you got permission to take me out. I mean that with all my heart. I'm only going to proclaim ultimately the name of Jesus as we preach. And everybody else that preaches here is going to do the very same thing. So you got to understand the preaching's not about me. Just, just take me away right now. Just, just close your eyes and just take me away right now. It's not about me. It's about Jesus. And so I want you to lean into Jesus this morning. He is the author and finisher of our faith. He is the name above all names. He is the only name under heaven whereby we must be saved. And here, here's what I know, church, that will unite us because he is the uniter. And as we allow the Holy Spirit to fill us and to control us and empower us, he is going to fill us and control us to unite together in the name of Jesus when we come together. And as we go, he is going to empower us to carry out our mission, which is making the name of Jesus known. That's what he's going to do. So I have a question for you this morning. Church, will you join me in praying? The Holy Spirit will fill us, control us, empower us to unite in Christ and in Christ alone. Will you, church, join in prayer that the Holy Spirit will empower us to unite in Christ and in Christ alone? What will happen as the Holy Spirit does that in us and through us. And I believe that there is unity amongst our church, but I always believe that there can be more of us being focused on Jesus. What will happen as this type of unitedness happens? More than we can imagine or think. That's what I think will happen. For his glory and for his honor. I'm desperate for us to be united, not so that we will be a bigger church. I'm desperate for us to be united so that he gets all the glory because only he deserves the glory. Only he deserves the glory. Church, will you join together in that? Will you take the next step and say, you know what, Holy Spirit, I'm going to allow you to control me so that I can be united with my brothers and sisters in Christ for his name and for his glory. Maybe for you today, you're hearing all of this and and you're like, man, I'm, I'm, I'm hearing the name of Jesus today. I'm seeing the name of Jesus today. I'm watching it lived out through many of the lives here. And, and church, I, uh, church, I just want you to know, this is, not, this is not me pushing you down today. This is me calling us up. I believe that God's doing great things among us, but I believe he can do greater things among us. But maybe you're seeing that among us, and you're not a believer yet. We want to invite you into the forgiveness and the hope that we have in Jesus and in Jesus alone. I'm going to bow. I'm going to pray a short prayer. Band's going to come up. They're going to play. I'm going to ask you to pray. Church, I'm going to ask you to pray that God will unite us through the Holy Spirit in the name of Jesus. If you need Jesus this morning, we invite you to him. Let's pray.